Hello, and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, and I head global JP Morgan Commodities Research. Today, we want to talk about gasoline prices, and I'm joined by Ted Ho, who covers our North American oil, oil balances. U.S. inflation hit a fresh 40-year high in May, increasing to 8.6% from a year earlier. If we look at the components of the inflation basket, shelter, food, and gasoline were the largest contributors. There are growing risks that price pressures in those categories will continue to build. Last week, we hosted Tracy Allen, who heads our um, agricultural research, and she covered our outlook on agricultural commodities, where she's calling for higher for longer prices of agricultural products. And since we published our cruel summer outlook, highlighting the possibility of a $6 gasoline in the U.S. this summer, retail gasoline prices have climbed almost 50 cents and appear poised to pass the $5 mark over the weekend. In that report, we highlighted the risks that without sufficient refining capacity in the U.S. to keep up with domestic demand and continue to supply Latin America with oil products, gasoline inventories could draw to historic lows by the end of August. Uh, Ted, welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners are watching this prices continue to tick up and are wondering how high they can go. Um, can uh, U.S. drivers expect any relief in prices at the pump this summer? Hey, Natasha, thanks for having me. Uh, unfortunately, the answer is no. Um, for everyone out there planning family road trips in the U.S., there does not appear to be any relief in sight. And with the pace at which gasoline prices have climbed over the past three weeks, that $6 scenario we talked about is starting to look more and more likely. Even as fuel prices continue to rise, demand re- remains resilient and is keeping the gasoline balance tight. So just over the past two weeks, U.S. refiners have produced more than 10 million barrels a day of gasoline. That's above pre-pandemic levels. But demand is so strong that gasoline stocks still drew by about 1.5 million barrels over, over those two weeks at a time of year when stocks are normally building. So there is some good news for drivers on the East Coast. Uh, after drawing down to the lowest levels in more than a decade back in April, East Coast gasoline inventories have increased a little. They're, they're still at decade lows, uh, but we don't have to worry about reaching dangerous stock levels there just yet. Um, so maybe you can help me with this. We've, we've got record high prices. I, I did a double take filling up my truck yesterday. So why mm-hmm. isn't demand slowing down at these price levels? Yes, Ted, this is a really good question. So with prices rising for everything, that's not just fuels. Yeah, we see this we see this in grocery store, we see this everywhere. It certainly feels like we're at the point where people will start limiting their driving to what is necessary. Um, but we did a deep dive on demand over the past few weeks, and there are few forces keeping driving demand high, at least for now. Um, at the top of the list is definitely pent-up demand. Yes, people have been stuck indoors for two, for two years. We see this especially in Europe. It's very visible because the restrictions there, COVID, yes, inflicted restrictions were significantly higher than the U.S., but in general, people want to travel. They want to get out. That's number one. Number two, uh, subsidies for drivers. Um, so if we look at the U.S., eight states uh, have already either introduced gasoline tax breaks or are considering suspending state gas taxes altogether. And in general, eight states, you know, I was personally really, really surprised because eight states is not, that's not the big number, but those states make up nearly 9% of global, and I underline global gasoline demand. It just tells you how much the Americans drive. Uh, And sure, this sounds like a good deal for the consumers uh, because everybody loves a good tax break, but because we're in a market environment where we'll need to see demand destruction to keep from running out of fuel, 
for every penny a state takes off of price at the pump, the underlying wholesale gasoline price will need to rise an extra penny to reach that pain point level where people begin to spend less time on the road. Um, so this behavior is not limited just to United States. Uh, most European countries introduced measures to fight rising fuel prices back in March. UK cut five pence per liter of its gasoline tax. Uh, uh, France, Germany, 14 to 15 cents, but also Italy, Spain, Ireland. Um, so the, we looked at the IMF estimates for this year, and they are forecasting that global uh, energy subsidies Will rise by uh, will rise by more than three hundred billion dollars this year to about six point eight trillion. Just to understand, six point eight trillion dollars this year will be spent on energy subsidies, and clearly, so instead of destroying demand, demand actually is being either maintained or supported. So because of that, that's you know this vicious loop we're discussing with you. As long as there is no supply, the prices would have to continue moving higher to the point where uh, demand destruction will kick in. Right. So that's uh, those are some big numbers on subsidies. And I'm sure, you know, that's well-intended policy and it sounded like a good idea at the time, but um, the unseen effect of that, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. So is there is there any sign that driving could slow down anytime soon? Well, as you mentioned earlier, demand in the U.S. is keeping up with any increase in refinery production. And the Google Mobility data shows that, uh, interestingly, Europe is the only region outside of China that mobility is back to pre-COVID levels of driving. So U.S. is not there yet. India, Brazil, APAC is not there yet. But Europeans, despite record gasoline, record diesel prices, regional prices there, they, you know, they're clearly hitting the road. Um, so we are beginning to see signs that demand is becoming more sensitive to the price. Um, so it's just some numbers there for the background. Throughout 2021 and to the beginning of 2022, right before the war, uh, fuel demand held a positive correlation with fuel prices. But in other words, what that means is that as demand recovered, prices rose. But since the onset of the Ukrainian war um, and the spike in the global oil prices that followed, that relationship has flipped. So what that means is that for the past three months, gasoline demand has shown an inverse correlation to the price. What that means is that as prices rise, demand slows, or more accurately, in this case, grows more slowly than it normally would. And just to give an example, usually our margin of error about our gasoline demand numbers for the U.S., our forecast, we're usually off by about 100, 100 kBD. Since November of last year, we are off by about 500 kBD. And sometimes, you know, some months it was even as high as 700 kBD. Um, we were constantly too high in our forecast. What that means is that the demand actually is averaging below what we thought it would be at the end of last year when we made our projections for this year. Um, so um, what you know what's yes, what we're observing is that yes, demand is slowing down, but it, it's still it's still growing. So what that means is that as long as you're correct on the on the refining side and on the supply side, uh, we need we need we need the prices to do more work for that. Um, so you mentioned earlier that U.S. refiners are back to 2019 levels of gasoline output. Uh, shouldn't that be enough to keep prices in check? So 10 million barrels per day, that's of gasoline uh, refinery runs. That, that's a big number by all means. Yeah, it is. And, and if, if only it were the case that that were enough. So yes, U.S. refiners are doing some heavy lifting right now. 
Um, but the global oil market is a big connected place. And at least for now, we don't appear to have enough global refining capacity to keep up with growing demand. So before COVID, the outlook for many US and European refiners was grim, uh, with new refineries coming online in the Middle East, in Asia and West Africa. The global refining mar market looked overbuilt and closures seemed imminent or inevitable. So when COVID arrived, uh, it crushed global demand and it forced refiners to shut down capacity. And many of those decided to stay closed for good, either, either closing the refinery or deciding to convert it into export facilities or, or biodiesel um, refineries. So about a half a million barrels a day in the US and another uh, 0.6 million barrels a day in Europe were closed um, since, since the COVID downturn. So that downturn really only accelerated what felt inevitable. Um, but when, even, even when we were building out 2022 forecasts this time last year, it looked like, so even with those closures, we were, we were working la this time last year, working on 2022 forecasts, and it looked like the additional capacity coming online in the East, especially in the Middle East and China, would be enough to keep global markets pretty well supplied, especially on the gasoline side. Um, but then mid-year last year, China started cracking down on independent refiners, slowing import qu quotas and closing tax loopholes effectively cutting its capacity, even though the real nameplate capacity was higher. And then China, in an effort to meet its climate and pollution goals, capped fuel exports um, at the beginning of this year. So, but even with that, still, we had the Middle East, that should have been enough to fill the gap. Um, but one of the biggest, you know, our expectations for one of the biggest refineries to come on this year uh, is, was in Kuwait. So it's a 600,000 barrel a day, the Alzor refinery. Um, that was delayed again. So it was originally supposed to come on at the end of 2020, and then it was supposed to come on the, in the second quarter of this year, and now it's delayed again, and, and we don't know when it's going to come. It still should mm -hmm. come this year, but and they've got some units running there, but it's not where we expected it to be. So, every, you know, in, in China and the Middle East, uh, refinery runs are coming in lower than we expected, and then we had Russia. So without European customers to sell to, Russia had to take about 700,000 barrels a day of its refining capacity offline, in addition to seasonal mm -hmm. maintenance. So that number could even come in higher if they don't start finding customers for the right. products. Mm -hmm. So Ted, Russia looks like it was a bit of a last straw for the fuel markets. Is this a correct assessment? Yeah, that, that's right. And the impact of Russia on refining is even bigger than its, than its domestic shutdowns of capacity. So to reach their full potential production, more complex refiners run, in addition to crude oil, they run dirty products. So this is effectively waste uh, from less complex refiners, and they run that through their advanced units. So the US, as an example, used to depend on Venezuela for, for these dirty products barrels. But after sanctions on Venezuela went into effect, they turned to Russia. So now with Russia off the board, the, sorry. That's the, Vig, the VGO, yes? That's, that's right, the one that's you're right. Referring to. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so now with Russia off the board, the market is short these dirty products as well, and refiners are not able to run at their full capacity. Um, so it, and as if that wasn't enough, so there's, there's just enough capacity. There might be just enough capacity to get us out of driving season without reaching that $6 gasoline scenario you talked about. Now we're starting hurricane season. And according to NOAA, we're due for a very active hurricane season this year, similar, potentially similar to what we saw last year. If you remember last year, Hurricane Ida knocked down a dozen mm -hmm. Louisiana refineries. 
Uh, one of them, Phillips Alliance uh, near New Orleans, one of, that was likely shut for good. And so hurricane season doesn't usually pick up in the Western Gulf of Mexico until late August. Um, but any storm that makes a landfall in New Orleans and Lake Charles or Houston, uh, that $6 gasoline case goes from a scenario to, I mean, I wouldn't say a certainty, but it becomes very, very likely. Right, right. So is there no capacity in Waverly? Can something come back? Well, that's, that's a good question. Here in the U.S., that would be a challenge. Uh, we read a few weeks ago that the Biden administration was reaching out to the industry to ask about restarting refineries. Um, but with, with maybe one exception I can think of that really seems like a long shot, uh, it's just simply too expensive and too risky for a refiner to bring back capacity after closing it. They'd have to be convinced not, not only that it's worth it today, but to make that investment that it'd be worth it for the next decade. And then even, even if money were no object, even if they just, if they just, we're not worried about it, we're going to bring it on. Uh, it would still take six to 12 months to get a refinery fixed up and staffed. And that's far too late to help us drivers this summer for sure. So, so really the only hope is that China changes its mind on export quotas. Uh, China, mm -hmm. We think China has enough refining capacity available. Um, e even just with the state owned refiners, uh, that if it wanted to, they could fill that that Russia products hole and, and balance the fuel markets. But there's really no indication yet that they're going to change course anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Well, they issued, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, they said that they slightly increased their road fuel export quarters. But when we calculated it, it was actually, they increased it by 20,000 barrels per day. Yeah, it was pretty small. Uh, which, yes, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, so there really is no way out of this. Not, not really. Uh, right now, it looks like it looks like a question of <laughs> whether and, and it, this is this is not very optimistic for, for anyone planning driving this summer, but uh, in the U.S. But it really is a question of whether fuel prices stay the same or if they climb higher. Um, so if they do climb higher, if that six dollar scenario does come to pass, demand destruction absolutely has to happen. Right. I mean, do you, what do you think that would look like? Um. So in the case of the demand destruction, there, there are two ways yes, of destroy demand. It could be a policy action, a straight out rationing, or it could be, as, as you described, the price has to go to the levels where people just say, listen, I, I, I can't do that. Yes, I'm not going to the beach. I'll stay, I'll stay in my backyard. Um, so what is interesting is that uh, the policy actions following the Arab oil embargo in 1973 and 1974, but after that, followed by the Iranian revolution of 78 and 79. So those are uh, the times and the policy actions at that time that brought a lot of uh, good things. Yes, for example, it's the corporate average fuel economy standards were created then. The 55 miles per hour speed limit, I was really surprised. I thought it was safety measure. No, it was a very expensive gasoline prices that actually resulted in this, and then it, be, it, be, it became a law. Other lasting impacts of policy choices included the, the formation of agencies like the IEA, the Department of Energy, and the creation of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, so then President Jimmy Carter became an example of conservation by famous, famously telling people to wear a sweater rather than crank the thermostat. Um, so some choices backfired. So for example, like Nixon air price controls and allocations oversight. 
Um, so there were two European countries at that time that imposed fuel rationing for their populations. It was Sweden and Netherlands, but also they had very quickly to change course due to the public backlash. So I think the, the lesson from those times, uh, very painful times, I would have to say, is that the policymakers have learned that imposing uh, rationing measures, uh, like, like fuel rationing at the pump, will yield little if the population does not support them. And uh, so if you look at it, actually, there was no president after Jimmy Carter that has called for energy conservation. So because of that uh, energy rationing, uh, I personally believe it's completely out of question in the United States and in Europe, especially after two years of COVID lockdowns, that would be extremely unpopular measure. So under such conditions, prices of fuel need to continue rising, so to automatically depress demand. So from that perspective, I think both you and I are very aligned in that it will be a cruel summer and the prices will continue marching higher. So, Ted, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. We look forward to continue the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on June 10th, 2022.